Okay, today we're doing the classic horror story, The Strange Case of Jekyll and Hyde, which was written, or rather it was published in 1886. It was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. And this is another short one. It's less, I think it's 80-something pages. It's less than 100 pages, so I suppose it's more of a novella than a novel, but nonetheless, absolute classic. Everyone listening to this, all nine of you, will have at least heard of Jekyll and Hyde, even if you haven't read it. Uh, as the story, or at least the ethos of the story, has permeated throughout culture so pervasively that you're at least familiar with the names. And today I'm also having a glass of a classic Irish whiskey, the Red Breast 15. And I personally tend more towards the bourbons and the ryes over the Irish and Scotch whiskeys, but it's hard to resist the Red Breast 15, which I take out only every couple of months. Um, it's a near-perfect concoction. I'm sipping in, and it's just what I think of to be the classic... It's a toasted wood, just a little bit smoky, and there's some fruit notes that are a little bit muted. And I put a dash, really more like two or three dashes of the orange bitters, and it's just perfect. Um, I will explain later why I chose the Red Breast 15 to pair with Jekyll and Hyde, but I'd rather uh, talk about the book first today. And I want to be very thorough in my plot review for this one. In turn, it's going to be very spoilery in this episode, so fair warning. If you don't want the spoilers, then too bad. Listen to something else or read the book first. Um, so Jekyll and Hyde, the protagonist is actually a Mr. Utterson. U-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. Mr. Utterson. And at the beginning of the story, there's really three main, real main characters. There's Mr. Utterson. He has a good friend named Enfield. And then there's Dr. Jekyll. And all three of these guys are, by all accounts, highly respected, you know, upright gentlemen in London society. So... Mr. Utterson is a lawyer, and he makes it a point to go on these friendly walks once a week or with some type of regularity with, with Enfield on a regular basis. And on one walk, at the beginning of the story, Enfield mentions seeing this ominous figure in the streets of London who one night tramples over a, a young girl in the street and injures, he, injures her. It's a pretty minor injury, but Enfield makes him out to be this man who travels in the shadows, and he just exudes this uncomfortable feeling, his posture his way of moving, his manner of speech, they all inspire unease, but he isn't exactly a monster in the same way that Frankenstein or a werewolf is a monster. And Enfield's telling Utterson about this story in the sky, but ultimately they say, oh, let's not gossip, let's not talk anymore of this shady man, but obviously Utterson's interest is piqued by the story. It's like when your friend's like, I gotta tell you something. Uh, actually, never mind. It's kind of like one of those. He's piqued his interest enough, so... Utterson takes it upon himself to find out more about this man. And it, as it turns out, if you remember I said Utterson is a lawyer, one of his clients, um, Dr. Jekyll, had Utterson do his will. And in his will, um, Jekyll had requested that when he dies, everything he owned be transfer transferred to this man named Mr. Hyde. Turns out Mr. Hyde was that guy uh, Enfield was talking about who trampled over the girl, shady guy. That's Mr. Hyde. And Jekyll has said... When I die, I want everything I own transferred to this mysterious man. So this only, of course, exacerbates Utterson's interest in this mysterious Mr. Hyde. So he finds out where he lives, and and Utterson stalks this little it's this little hole in the wall apartment in this little courtyard, and these like dark, damp side streets, and this is purported to be Hyde's, you know, where he lives. And Utterson stalks it for months. He goes there every night for months until one night he finally sees Hyde, who's like shuffling into his apartment. And he basically reports the same account as Enfield did of Hyde. And this is probably my, my favorite passage of the book. It's 
Utterson's description of Mr. Hyde when he saw it, when he sees him first, he says, Mr. Hyde was pale and dwarfish. He gave an impression of deformity without any nameable malformation. He had a displeasing smile. He had borne himself to the lawyer with a sort of murderous mixture of timidity and boldness, and he spoke with a husky, whispering tone and a somewhat broken voice. All these were points against him, but not all of these together could explain the hitherto unknown disgust and loathing and fear with which Mr. Utterson regarded him. There must be something else, said the perplexed gentleman. There is something more, if I could find a name for it. God bless me, the man seems hardly human. Something troglodytic, shall we say. Or is it the mere radiance of a foul soul that thus transpires through and transfigures its clay continent? The last, I think, for, oh, my poor old Harry Jekyll, if ever I read Satan's signature upon a face, it is that on your new friend. Yeah, that passage is, is definitely my favorite passage in the whole story, and it sums up that eerie metaphysic I was talking about in the last two episodes of someone being at once recognizable and they're here but they also have that inexplicable sense of not belonging for some reason even though Mr. Utterson at this point cannot quite put his finger on it. So Utterson has seen Hyde and he's conversated with him briefly but it was ultimately uneventful. Hyde didn't really do anything out of the ordinary. Uh, fast forward a year. I don't remember if it was a year or not. A year, a couple months. It was a long time after he met him. Um, but there's an old man, this member of parliament who's beaten brutally and fatally by none other, none other than Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde flees the scene, and he successfully escapes, so now, uh, you know, the manhunt begins. And he's committed this legit crime at this point in the story. It's kind of like a big deal. He commits a crime, and the general population, they had this anxious attitude towards him, but he never really did anything that wrong. But now it's justified, and the hunt is on. And uh, Utterson has this will connecting Hyde to Jekyll. If you remember, Jekyll said, when I die, everything goes to Hyde. Um... So he goes and visits Jekyll. He's like, hey, what's going on? You know this guy, he committed a murder. Now I can't find him. And Jekyll says, well, you know, Mr. Hyde wrote me this letter. And Mr. Hyde, he apologized for the murder. But he doesn't want to go to jail. And he said goodbye forever. Jekyll basically disavows his previous relationship with the mysterious Mr. Hyde. And he renounces his will. He doesn't want Hyde to have everything. However, in true uh, murder mystery fashion, Utterson notices that Hyde's handwriting... And his letter that he wrote to Jekyll is eerily similar to Jekyll's handwriting. Strange. Um, regardless, Jekyll is open to any and all conversation with everybody. And he actually, at this point, is remarkably friendly to everyone. Uh, he's just, you know, going on as if nothing really happened. Which calms Utterson's suspicions of uh, linking the two, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, it comes to light that another scientist, Dr. Lanyon, has died from shock after observing some mysterious science experiment that Jekyll conducted in front of him. But just before dying, he, he writes and gives Utterson a letter. But he says, he tells Utterson, do not open this letter until after Dr. Jekyll dies. It's a very frustrating part in the story for me because it seems, it seems almost forced. Uh, suspense, I love suspense in any story, as you know most people do, but only when it's organic. And this letter, it just seemed like forced suspense to me, but... It serves to reanimate Utterson's suspicions linking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Imagine getting this letter. It's like, don't open this until Hyde, or sorry, until Jekyll dies. It's like, okay, now I think something's up between the two again. So Jekyll, like, locks himself. He has his personal laboratory. He locks himself in the laboratory for weeks on end, and he turns. He was a social man. He turns into a secluded man. Um, so everyone's like, something's up. Um, 
Jekyll's butlers are reporting his weird voice coming from his laboratory that doesn't sound like Dr. Jekyll. So Utterson takes it upon himself to break into the lab, and that's where he finds Mr. Hyde dressed in Dr. Jekyll's clothes, and he's dead from what appears to be suicide. Um, So now, in my opinion, the fun part of the story begins. I can enjoy a murder mystery and a manhunt adventure from time to time, but it's the psychology behind it that is basically what interests me. So the story doesn't end there. Um, Utterson reads the letter that was given to him by Lanyon, the one that he wasn't supposed to read until after Jekyll's death. And Lanyon explains that uh, he witnessed a metamorphosis occur. The metamorphosis, of course, being Dr. Jekyll transforming into Mr. Hyde before his eyes. Literally, transforming into Mr. Hyde. And this is the experiment I mentioned earlier that sent Lanyon, that sent Lanyon into shock and eventual death. Okay, so my question, going back to why I was so unhappy about the letter being for suspense, why could Utterson just not open the letter right when he got it? And read it then, because, you know, Lanyon could have saved lives if he let Utterson open that letter before, considering we know that, you know, Mr. Hyde, post-transformation, can be a killer. I don't get it. I don't get I mean, it was just forced suspense to me. Don't like it. Um, But Utterson also has another letter that was uh, written by Dr. Jekyll, which he left behind before he died. And it explains the whole phenomenon. How is there Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Are they one and the same? What's going on? And uh, in this letter, Jekyll explains that he would he created this potion concoction tincture of some sort where he, if he drinks it, he changes into Mr. Hyde to separate as literally and as biologically as possible his vices from his conscious. And when he is Hyde, he has free, free reign to do whatever he wants without remorse because in, in Jekyll's mind, it's not him who's doing it. It's Mr. Hyde. And if he gets caught... His reputation is at stake. However, if he does anything when he's Mr. Hyde, who cares? It's some mystery man with no real identity. And uh, he loved it at first. He said he could take it and go in the streets at night and do whatever he wanted. And then whenever he wanted, he could transform back to Dr. Jekyll. But eventually, the transformations got out of hand. He couldn't control the transformations, which became more and more regular even when he wasn't drinking the potion. Okay, so to me, this is taking a fundamentally human, all too human psychological predicament and dealing with it in the literal carnal realm. And what I mean by that is everyone has vices. Of course, some are more serious and depraved than others. But the question is, how do we handle them? And what is our relationship with our vices? And some people, for you know various reasons, can't live with their vices. Or at the very least, they can't form a healthy relationship with them. So I think that was Jekyll's problem. He couldn't live with the fact that he had these desires. Um, and who knows what Hyde did before the murder. Um, we don't know, but I suspect it was petty crimes. Who knows, maybe secret experiments, living life in the shadows. Who knows? But Jekyll couldn't live with those desires as a, you know, Londonian gentleman. So he created Hyde as a valve, that, and that was his coping mechanism. He, this was a, a doctor in London, so he's, you know, high upper class, and he wanted to live among the shadows. To, he wanted to dwell in the shady, unkept side streets of society. He wanted to be a member of the lacunae of society, and as an upstanding gentleman doctor, he, he could never do that. So this is something that, to some extent, we can all relate to. Personally, all the time I live vicariously through characters in books, characters in movies, even through music. We, in a way, let someone else do our biddings for us. Of course, 
For me, my fantasies do not involve killing parliament members or harassing schoolgirls, but the mechanism of living vicariously is the same. The more I think about this book, and as I was writing my notes for it, the more I enjoy the idea that Stevenson, the author, the idea he had of taking this mechanism and making it very literal, you know, living through someone else because you get to be that someone else. It's very cool. And how funny is that the age-old problem of the grass being greener on the other side? If you think about the hoi polloi of industrial London, they would give anything to be a doctor with a mansion, a personal laboratory, butlers, you know, (laughs) whenever he wants them. And then we have Jekyll, who undertook unearthly efforts to escape the same lifestyle. Uh, It's just a reminder, I guess, to be appreciative of what you have, even if you don't think it seems like much. As far as prose goes, it's good writing. Um, There's only one or two passages that really stood out to me. You know, it wasn't like a tree at every page, you know, there's some awesome passage there. And one of those passages I read earlier, the description of Hyde, but keep in mind this was written in the 1880s in, in England, so if you're used to pop fiction and more modern stuff, it's going to seem a bit dated. And it's, uh, if you think about the reputation, if you listen to the Frankenstein episode, I talked about how the reputation of Frankenstein was really nothing like the novel itself. It was totally different. Um, this is the other side of the coin. It's Reputation is exactly the story itself. I knew exactly what the deal was with Mr. Hyde and and Dr. Jekyll. Um, But that's no fault of the book, of course. It just means the book was in the story was so captivating that it became a mainstay in American and I assume British uh, culture. So it's good for a quick read. Like I said, it's 80-something pages. You can read it in one sitting, two sittings if you wanted. You could, if you want to read something real quick before Halloween to get you in that, you know, that Halloween mood, this is a good one. So why Redbreast 15? What does that have to do with Jekyll and Hyde? Um, when I was reading the scenes in the streets of London, um, Stevenson does give a very impressive description of the streets. I could like smell, without the author having to write about the smell, I could smell the damp wood of the rain-laden waterlogged houses of London and the nighttime smoke of the factories, you know, the foggy, thick side streets. And it just When I was reading it, it reminded me of the inside of an Irish whiskey barrel. Damp, dark, woody, foggy, smoky. And this book also is a classic. Like I said, everyone's heard of it. Red Breast 15 is a classic. It was just an appeal to all senses. Um, and I will be posting, took a pretty cool picture of the uh, Red Breast next to the book itself, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm going to post it on the Instagram at Books Plus Booze. Yeah, so that was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on a... If I'm rating it to 5, you know, 3.7. It's good. If you, if you want something quick, read it. Thank you. Tune for your time.